Um, such a great morning to be together, to worship him, to lift up the name of Jesus, the Holy One, the one who is worthy of praise. And Trevor has gone on vacation uh, visiting um, his wife's family in Colorado, so he says it's 85 and dry, uh, but pray for them. I mean, there's lots of fires going on in Colorado, lots of fires going on, you know, as we know, around the area, you know, so continue to pray for them, pray for Trevor as get some rest with the family. But I have the pleasure of bringing the Word of God to you this morning. So I'm going to invite you to open up to the book of Luke, chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the call of Levi, kind of as a framework for the meals with Jesus, of Jesus, and the gospel being shown around the table. So we're going to look at some of his meals. We're going to look at how that embodies his grace, community, and mission, and how it applies to us. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere under your seat. we got some new ESV Bibles under there. And if you don't have one, take that home with you. That's a gift to you. So I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to dive in. Verse 27 through 32. Probably didn't tell you that. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, God, for this morning. We thank you that you have brought us here. You've brought us here. You've called us into your presence by your grace, by your Holy Spirit within us. And God, we are part of the family of God, those who are saved here by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are part of your family. We are your children. And God, we have this opportunity to hear from you, to listen to you, to be called to repentance, to follow you in everything, to leave everything behind and to follow you. And God, you're calling us to respond. You're calling us to show this great grace that we've received through our everyday interactions, through our everyday meals, through everything that we do, we do to your glory. So God, I pray that you, that you by your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning what you have to say to us. It's for your glory and for your name we pray. Amen. Um, also, side note, thank you for praying we found uh, a townhome in Bangor. I cannot tell you my commute is like five to seven minutes <laughs> instead of 40 to 45 minutes. So praise the Lord for that. I want to thank you for praying. Um, it's just been an amazing uh, time to, you know, we're still kind of in, still trying to get all this stuff out of there and, you know, just trying to get all that finished up. But we're sleeping over there now. It's just amazing. So I want to thank you for that. But um, 
First off, I want to say my, my wife, Ashley, and I have been married over 11 years now. And the one thing out of many things that I love about her is her gift of hospitality. She loves to serve God through loving and serving her family, friends, and neighbors. And she really shines when we invite people over. And she, along with some of my help, not much, is getting ready for them to come. The way she prepares the home, the way she plays a little music and gets everything ready and she prepares the food, the different seasonings she puts on there. She sautés broccoli and peppers and mixes a salad with balsamic vinegar and olive oil and she cooks steak or chicken or whatever it is. It's all a way for her to embody love. And when we taste her food, it's always so amazing and we can't get enough. This blesses her as it blesses us. And it opens up for a lot of great conversations about life, about faith, and definitely food. So meals matter. Food and drink are significant because they were given to us by God to enjoy and give him glory with. God showed his love for us by creating the earth and preparing the Garden of Eden, giving us a variety of food to partake in. The different tastes, smells, colors all reveal his common grace towards his creation. God created Adam and Eve to walk with him in the garden and to eat from any of the trees except for one in his presence. God blessed them with an abundance of food to eat to his glory with one another. Eating expressed their dependence on God and submission to his rule and reign. But at the fall of man, food is the way they expressed their disobedience and mistrust of God. Satan the serpent tempted Adam and Eve with the fruit that they weren't allowed to eat. They ate it, disobeyed God, and sin entered the world. Adam and Eve felt shame over their bodies and hid. Sin had distorted the relationship to food and to the glory of God. So now we can use food for control instead of looking to God's greatness. We can use food for our image instead of looking to God's glory. We can use food for refuge instead of looking to God's goodness. And we can use it for identity instead of looking to God's grace to complete us. But God already had his sovereign, redemptive plan in place to save us and to conform us to to his image and to help us to see all things to his glory. This story of God redeeming the sinful and broken world begins with the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, saying that a great nation would come from him, knowing God by faith and being blessed. Abraham's family would become the nation of Israel in the defining moment in Israel's history was their exodus from Egypt, being freed from bondage and slavery. And each year, the nation would remember and reenact God's redemption through a meal called the Passover. The story of God's salvation would be retold to the children, and they would learn about the nature of God and their own identity. This was theology served up on the table. The Israelites were rescued for a meal with God. The Passover represents redemption embodied in a meal for a meal with God. Yet sin and judgment stood in the way because the people were too afraid to eat in the presence of their holy God. They kept on grumbling against God because they feared they wouldn't have enough bread or water or meat. They didn't depend on God or trust him to take them into the promised land. God wanted his people to eat in his presence, trusting his grace and goodness. 
And God even gave them manna, bread from heaven that tasted like honey in anticipation of the promised land. He also gave them quail to eat as well to show his mercy and providence. He wanted them to walk by faith in him and feast to his glory, praising him. Yet the Israelites continued to try to keep the law, creating certain boundaries when it came to food and cleanliness in order to be a holy people before God. Jews couldn't eat with Gentiles because they didn't follow the same laws and religion as they, and therefore they risked becoming unclean through their table fellowship with them. But God continued throughout the Old Testament to call them to repentance and trust in his goodness through the prophets, to turn, to humble themselves, to fast, to wail over their sin and respond to the grace of God who called them out of slavery. He called them to faith and to feast in his presence, giving praise and thanks to him and loving all people with them. Most of them chose not to listen but continued to feast without faith in God, expressing their religiosity and self-righteousness. But then John the Baptist in the New Testament prepared the way for Jesus' ministry, calling people to repent of their sins for the kingdom of God was near. The Messiah was near. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come to this world and after 30 years of living a pretty normal life as a carpenter's son, he started his ministry. So I wanted to start with this question. Why did Jesus, the Son of Man, come to earth? Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19, 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So why did Jesus, the Son of Man, come to earth? His mission was to give his life as a ransom for many and to seek and save those who were lost. He came to call sinners to repentance. That's why Jesus, the Son of Man, came this was his mission. This was his purpose. This is what he came to do, to do, to, to do the will of his Father, to ultimately give his life on the cross and to seek and save those who were lost, the sinners, the broken, and the religiously blind. But then how did Jesus come? What was one of his main methods of accomplishing this mission? I want to point you to Luke seven thirty four. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So the Son of Man is a title from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. talks of one who would come before God, receiving authority over the nations. The Jews thought that this one would come to vindicate the righteous and defeat their enemies, that he would be a political Messiah of sorts, that he would come in glory and power, not eating and drinking with their enemies. Yet Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost and give his life for them, and he did a lot of it through eating and drinking with them. He loved it so much, the Pharisees called him a glutton and a drunkard, though he wasn't any of those things. He never sinned, but he came eating and drinking. So this morning, I want to talk about the meals of Jesus, revealing his grace and how it should impact our shared meals together as a church and with the lost around us. I want to point us again to our text from this morning, Luke 5, 27 through 32, I just want to look at the context for that text and then um, dive into a little more 
of uh, the content this morning. So Jesus had just called his first disciples, a few fishermen, Peter, James, and John. They left everything and followed him. Jesus had cleansed a leper and purified him, showing his holiness as God. He was making the unholy holy and the unclean clean. Jesus then healed a paralyzed man by first forgiving his sin and then making him walk again. Jesus was doing something new. He was fulfilling the law that said lepers and the lame were not permitted to participate in holy things by touching them and forgiving them. Lepers were not touched by anybody, but Jesus touched them. The lame were left outside the temple begging for money. This man was sacrificially brought through the roof of the home that Jesus was in to be put before him. Jesus saw his friend's faith in him and responded to that. And then in verse 26, the people glorified God because of all these things and amazement seized them all, filled with awe and worship towards God. And they had seen something extraordinary that day. The air was different. Things were being turned upside down. The religious way was being exposed. The Son of Man was here gathering the outcast and the unholy, making them into a new community by grace through faith. Jesus continued this way of grace by going to a tax collector named Levi. He saw him busy at his tax booth and called Levi to follow him. So here is the scandal that the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at the disciples about. Jesus, this supposed Messiah, was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were considered the worst of the worst. They were crooks. They were Jewish. They were supposed to be God's people, but they worked for the Roman government, stealing from the people for the government and keeping a huge portion for themselves. They were considered traitors to the nation and to God. They were considered God's enemies. Yet here Jesus is calling him to be his disciple. This is the grace of our God, people. This is the grace of our God, calling the worst of the worst to be his disciple. And Levi, I'm sure, was shocked to be invited by the Son of Man, who maybe had witnessed his miracles and his power. But he responded to this grace by leaving everything, it says, rising from his tax booth and following Jesus. He left his old life behind him. He was wanting to become like Jesus and to be a fisher of men. But what is the first thing Levi did after he was called? Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So Levi threw a huge party to celebrate this grace. He was so thankful that God had called him out of sin into a new life. So he invited all of his old co-workers and others all around him to be with Jesus and his disciples too. He wanted them to hear this message of grace and see it embodied in a meal. A meal back then meant identification with the people you were eating with. It meant friendship. It meant relationship. Table fellowship was a big deal back then, and that's why the Pharisees and scribes were mad about it. The grace of God embodied in this meal made them grumble. The Messiah that they didn't think was the Messiah, but he was calling himself the Messiah, was eating with the enemy. And he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He was identifying with the outcasts, the sinful, the broken, and the misfits. He was calling them to faith and repentance, inviting them to trust him as their Savior and Lord because though he never sinned, he died in the place of sinners, 
taking our curse upon himself. So meals are an opportunity to embody grace. Meals are an opportunity to embody grace. In Jesus, God had come to his people and he was bringing his kingdom to the earth. The way of Jesus was gracious rather than religious, inclusive rather than exclusive, welcoming rather than unwelcoming. It was more about feasting and rejoicing than fasting and grumbling. It was about humbling yourselves and finding hope in Jesus rather than feeling good enough and rejecting Jesus. Jesus said that those who are healthy have no need of a physician but those who are sick. He had not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Because doctors can't avoid sick people, right? They can't avoid sick people. They need to be with them, offering them the cure, the medicine that they need. Jesus couldn't do his work unless he was with sinful people. Same goes with us as followers of Jesus. Amen? We can't do the work of pointing people to Jesus as their Savior and Lord unless we spend time with them. We need to be more like Levi and look to have meals with our brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, along with the lost, showing them the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Tax collectors and sinners wanted to be with Jesus and hear from him. Jesus eats with them and communicates the message that Jesus has come for those on the margins, those who've made a mess of their lives, people who were ordinary, and he has come for you and me. The only people left out are those who think they don't need God, the self-righteous and the self-important. We eat meals together recognizing our need for God. We eat food acknowledging that he has provided and has been good to us. And even though we have sinned against God and have disobeyed him, struggling with sin, he has rescued us by his grace through faith. And because of this, we are no longer lost, amen, but found in him. Luke 15 talks about when the lost sheep is found by the shepherd, a party is thrown. When a lost coin is found, a celebration is organized. And when a lost son recklessly spending his inheritance comes back, the father runs to him and brings him speedily back into the family and kills the fattened calf, throwing a huge feast for he was found again. This is how God welcomes sinners back to him with much rejoicing and feasting. When repentance happens, when faith happens, God welcomes you And there's much rejoicing in heaven. So when we eat together as a family, as with with friends, with others in our lives, we have an opportunity to embody the grace of God and celebrate what he has done for us. He has pursued us in his grace and called us to himself. And he wants to bring that neighbor, that friend, that coworker home to him. God's invitation through Jesus says to all, come to the table as you are. And taste my extravagant grace that calls you to repentance out of your sin to follow me. So have you experienced God's radical grace? Or do you grumble at the sight of God welcoming the outcast and the poor through you or through others? Are you like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son that is unwilling to go into the feast? Just like the Pharisees, just like the scribes, They were unwilling to enter into that celebration. 
Jesus is calling you and he has come after you. So let's embody the grace of God that has freed us from our sin and has invited us spiritually, spiritually, that's it, spiritually poor, lame, blind, and naked into the family of God through Jesus. Because of this grace, we are called to community around the table. It defines who we are. We are loved by God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This favor comes only through trusting in his life, death, and resurrection. It comes only through repentance and to follow him. Levi threw a feast for Jesus and his disciples in him. Jesus welcomed these sinners into his family. They were unworthy, messed up and broken, and God welcomed them to the table through his son, and he invited all his friends to experience the friendship offered to them. So let's read about another meal of Jesus that reflects this truth. Meals are an opportunity to embody community. You can go to Luke chapter 7, 36 through 39. Luke 7, 36 to 39. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, the woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Jesus was asked into the home of a Pharisee, yet was not welcomed. This woman who was called a sinner, possibly a prostitute, which was meant by a woman of the city, found out that Jesus was reclining at table, most likely in a Roman symposium, an outdoor area, where the public could be around and witness the dinner conversation with the poor waiting for leftovers to eat. His feet were mostly behind him, reclining at the table, and she came with her ointment, washing his feet with her tears, kissing and anointing his feet. This woman welcomed Jesus because Jesus had first welcomed her. She had experienced his forgiveness through his interactions with her or his teaching, and she was responding with loving hospitality. She was the host for this party, not Simon the Pharisee. Simon didn't wash his feet when he came in. He didn't greet Jesus with a kiss. He didn't anoint him with oil. Simon had not expressed God's welcome through Jesus. He hadn't been forgiven but was trying to be entertained by Jesus and was trying to move up on the totem pole by having Jesus as a guest because of his popularity. Simon didn't believe him as the Messiah. He judged and condemned this woman for her actions. He considered her to be out of line, but Jesus was honored by her. Jesus demonstrates his grace by welcoming her into his kingdom and she welcomes Jesus through her love. She knew she was a mess, But Simon had no sense of need. Involvement with people, especially those who are marginalized in our culture, must begin with a sense of God's grace. But not just God's grace to them, but God's grace to us, to me. I need to be broken by grace. 
When I speak with or eat with someone who is broken, depressed, unemployed, widowed, I must do so as a fellow sinner. We're all broken in a broken world. We're all broken people. And when we eat together, we embody this community. We eat, we laugh, and we cry together in the presence of Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. We embody this community. As followers of Jesus, we respond to this good news by being hospitable to one another, by eating with others, offering people our home to stay, and receiving hospitality from others just as God in Christ welcomed us and is preparing a place for us in heaven through faith. But hospitality isn't easy, right? It means slowing down and creating space for fellowship, for listening, for hearing the stories of people who may have been strangers, but they are now friends. We become more people-oriented in a meal rather than task-oriented, which we tend to default to. Amen? We tend to default to the tasks more than people. But meals teach us to slow down, to be more people-oriented. Meals bring us close. We see each other in life as we are, as we're sitting but that close to one another. Instead of what someone can pretend to be in a Bible study or prayer time, if you come to lunch with my family, you'll see how we love our children, but you'll also see the frustration on my face as I work to correct my children as they disobey or cause a scene of some kind. But this helps us to, to build community as we live life together, sinners as we are. And it will help others to see what it looks like to follow Jesus in everyday moments like these, in regular meals that we have every day. Because we're real people with problems and issue, issues. But we accept the meal table as real community created by the cross of Christ with all of its brokenness. And we're called to love the real people sitting with us. A quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer will be on the screen. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their own law, and judge one another, even God, accordingly. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So we enter life together with other Christians, not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. We don't complain about what God doesn't give us, rather we are thankful for what God does give us daily, end quote. God has given us his son that brings us all together. We are forgiven of our sins in Jesus Christ. And this is what church is, a community a broken people finding family around a meal under the tree of Calvary. This is what church is. Therefore, we are to be generous in our hospitality towards one another. This sinful woman in the scriptures was generous towards Jesus in her hospitality. That flask of ointment was her life savings and she gave it all for him in response to his grace. So we are to be generous in our hospitality towards one another. So include new, new and old friends from church in your neighborhood around your table or at a restaurant 
whether they are poor, of different nationality, religion, orientation, invite them to eat with you in your Christian community. The lonely cease to be lonely at the table. The aliens cease to be alien. Strangers become friends. This is a pointer to God's coming kingdom. We offer friendship and celebrate life and God's grace. This is a divine moment, an opportunity for people to be rocked by grace into into an abundant life with Christ. Meals were at the center of church life in the first churches established. Acts 2.46 says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They met for worship around a meal. They were a family gathered together through the work of Jesus. And the church is called the household of God. And for church leaders, for elders, a requirement was that they must be hospitable. It's still the same today. It was that important to the church life and should continue to be important for us today. So let's work to embody being a church family by meeting in each other's homes as much as possible and receiving food with glad and generous hearts. Our life groups are a great way to do this as we discover what it means to gather as family, to grow as disciples and go as servants. So we have many different groups that meet in different communities throughout the week, so please uh, reach out to us if you'd like to get connected, um, if you're not connected already into a life group. But if you're already doing this, as I know a lot of you are, continue to do it joyfully in response to the gospel and look for ways to invite people in your life who may not know Jesus yet to be with you as, enjo- as you enjoy table fellowship. But if you're not doing this at all, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you to start doing this on a regular basis. Think about this. We all have three meals a day, 21 meals a week, so we can share two to three meals a week with your church family. We have, we have the meal second and fourth Sundays, making sure that we're doing that, but also throughout the week as well, gathering with some men or women from your church family to, to eat together and invite lost people with you, with you guys, to hang out and to hear what life, what the Christian life looks like. Let them see it in action in the everyday. So three meals a day, 21 meals a week, we could share two to three meals a week with our church family and those who are lost around us. That's a challenge. For me, that's a challenge for all of us. And lastly, meals are an opportunity to embody mission. As God has pursued us, even while we are yet sinners, by his grace, through his death on the cross on our behalf, we are called to respond to this grace by helping others to experience it, by calling them to follow Jesus, calling them to repentance. This is what happened to Levi. He was so grateful and rocked by Jesus that he threw a huge party and invited all his lost friends, ones who were broken and messed up like he was but hadn't come to know Jesus yet. He invited them to experience Christ. And Jesus wanted to be around them to share the good news of the kingdom and to call them to repentance. So we know that Jesus has called us to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the greatest commandments. He's also commissioned us to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And he's with us always until the end of the age. In order to love others and make disciples, we need to share with them 
the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to first embody it in our actions, in our lives, by inviting somebody into our home or accepting the invitation into someone else's home or gathering. We have the opportunity to build community, to show kindness, compassion, and share laughter and life with them. And we get to hear their stories. We get to listen to their pain and their joyful moments and get to embody Jesus through the Holy Spirit inside of us to them. But we get to share with them the story of God, the story of his redemption, the story of his life, death, and resurrection that has changed us. And we get to share God's word with them. But we have to first meet people on street level, not always expecting them to come to us at our worship services here but going to them on their territory the everyday and ordinary everyone eats i think i, I would hope everyone has celebrations of some kind meet them in the ordinary and introduce them to jesus through your life through the word embodied in a meal and through your Christian community. Live your Christian life in front of them, separate from the worldly ways, but not separate from them as people made in the image of God. This life we live is a rescue mission that Jesus started on this earth and is continuing through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is accomplishing his mission and he desires to have us participate. And something as ordinary as a meal but has the power to change people's lives as they realize God has been pursuing them and wants them to come home and eat in the kingdom of God. So I want to read one last, uh, one last story from Luke 14, 16 through 24. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. In these wedding banquets, there would have been two invitations sent to people, the first inviting them, and the second saying that everything was ready for them to come. Those who would have rejected at that point would have been a huge offense against the host. In this parable, God is the host, and he has invited his people, the Israelites, to come to the feast of his grace where all peoples and nations would come to the banquet of the good news of Jesus, but they rejected the offer. They rejected the Messiah because of their religion and their hatred towards the grace of God that pursued sinners and lost people. So God brought in the poor, the crippled, the blind and lame, and still there was room. And he brought in those on the way outskirts of society. There were 
No outsiders for those who would come to Jesus by faith. This included all the tax collectors, fishermen, and those who were Gentiles. God wants the banquet filled with his people and for all people to come to repentance. This included the religious, those that thought they had it all together. He would go eat with the Pharisees as well. He wanted to do them good and share with them the grace of God. Though this was done harshly a lot of the time, he was trying to break them with his truth and reveal his grace through their humility. So we have been invited to his banquet as the spiritually poor, blind, naked, and lame, experiencing his grace. So our meals and our banquet should be a reflection, a pale reflection of God's future wedding banquet with all the redeemed. We are called to invite outsiders in our culture and our neighborhoods to our table. We are called to not just serve the poor, but eat with them. We are called to share our bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into our house. Isaiah 58, 7 says, This applies to alcoholics, drug addicts, and those who are on the fringes of society. People don't want to be projects, though. They want to be a welcomed friend at the table. They need inclusion, a place where they matter. They need Christian community. They need the gospel around the table. Anyone is welcome in this place amongst us right now. Anyone should be welcome at your table. Anyone should be welcome at your home because you have been welcomed by God's grace at his table. Sinners and prostitutes loved sharing a meal with Jesus, but they can avoid the church like a plague. What has gone wrong here? Are we more like Jesus? Are we more like the Pharisees and religious leaders casting judgment and avoiding sinners because they might have a negative influence on us? We need to think about this and repent of our religiosity that keeps the lost from wanting to be around us. We need to put on Christ who drew people to himself to hear him, to be touched by him, and we're called to repentance. Not everyone repented, I'm sure, but they still wanted to be around him. So if you routinely share meals and you have a love for Jesus, you will do mission. Meals don't save people, but the gospel does. However, meals will help create natural opportunities to share the message in the context that resonates powerfully with what you are saying. Hospitality is a great way to be on mission in our world. It's a lost art because people are barely eating together anymore and are very private. But also it's become a performance art where it's all about showing off, right? We desire to show the hospitality of God by being hospitable to strangers in our neighborhood, to foreigners that we come across and providing a space for God's spirit to move, So hospitality is a great way to be on mission, to bring mission into the ordinary. And that's where people are. That's where people are, living in the ordinary. And that's where we need to go. That's where we need to be. We think of mission as extraordinary and think we can't do it. We need to leave it to pastors and professionals. But most people live in the ordinary and most people will be reached by ordinary people like us who love Jesus. We often complain we don't have time for mission, right? We say, I don't have time. I don't have time to share my faith. But we all have to eat three meals a day, seven days a week. That's 21 opportunities for mission and community without adding anything to our schedules. Breakfast on the way to work. Meet up with 
coworkers at lunch. Invite neighbors over for a cookout. Invite them over with a family from church. Do mission and community at the same time. Your neighbors, your neighbors will get to see the way the gospel impacts your Christian community. But just begin by opening your home for community and for mission. Join with the cultural events in the neighborhood, like June Dairy Days is coming up. We should join with those things. We should welcome others. We should try to share this message of grace as we interact with people in our own neighborhoods. We should have a reputation as Christians of throwing the best gatherings, the best parties, ones that show kindness, mercy, and compassion while also laughing, crying, and living life together. Not participating in drunkenness, obviously, or sexual debauchery, but the joy of creation and God's grace towards sinners like us. These things, have, these things create platforms for gospel opportunities and deeper study of the word. But what are the excuses of not showing hospitality? One is, it's too scary. We're putting ourselves on display. We're we're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid of what they might think of our homes. Too small. Not, Not clean enough. But we need to fear the Lord more and work from his smile of grace. We are accepted in him. He has called us and we are able to serve one another in love. Our homes don't have to be perfect. And it doesn't always mean hosting. Jesus was a guest more than he was a host. So find So find other ways to eat with others. Have coffee with others. Let your light shine before men and be witnesses to grace. Another excuse, it's too costly. Food costs money and it all takes time. Now, we have to be wise with this. We can live life on a budget, you know, but sometimes we're afraid to spend money on things like that where we can provide a meal for people in our neighborhood. And we can be afraid that things can get broken. Kids running around, <laughs> kids running around the house. Things can get broken. Um, that happens. Be creative. Invite a family over for cake or take them out for a picnic. Remember the cost of the messianic banquet. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. The cross is our motive and our model. So remember that when you think it's too costly. Remember what Jesus did. You're too busy to show hospitality. This requires planning for busy people. We're we're so often running the rat race. We're trying to get from one thing to the next and we see our meals as just, just fuel to get to the next thing. So we need to set aside time. We need to put things in our calendar. But we need to give ourselves margin to create opportunities for these things to happen, for people to drop in unannounced, to take people out for a meal. So we need, to, we need to set aside time for that. But don't always take it all on yourself. When you invite people over, if you feel like you're too busy to get things ready, have people come over early and help you clean up. Don't always take it all on yourself. But I invite you to examine your heart as you think about this. The person responsible for your busyness is you. It's me. Maybe we're trying to do more than God expects or we're doing other things that don't matter as much to the kingdom. Remember this, God is great. 
So you don't have to be in control. God is glorious. You don't need to find satisfaction in anything else. God is good. You don't need to worry about what you need. And God is gracious. You don't need to find acceptance anywhere else. So address the issues in your heart. Address any idolatry that is there. Create time for people as you find rest in God's grace. So I invite you to come to the table of Jesus Christ. If you haven't come to Jesus before, if you're in this place right now and you're hearing him, invite you to follow him. I encourage you to bring your sins and sorrows to him. I encourage you to get up from the place that you're in. Like Levi did, he got up because Jesus saw him and he called him to follow him. So if you're in that place today, Jesus has taken your sin to the cross. He's died the death that you deserved and he rose from the dead to give you new life in him. And he wants to save you by his grace through faith. And he wants to change you into his image. And he will save you completely in the end when Jesus returns. And that's the message that we can share with people around our tables We can embody grace, we can embody community, embody mission, all at the table. And we can invite people, call them to repentance, call them to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. So we get to put this into practice this morning as we go to the Lord's table to remember what he has done. The last meal of Jesus with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed was to remember the Passover that was celebrated every year to remember what God had done for his people to free them from bondage. Jesus prepared a place for them already to celebrate this last meal together and sent his disciples to it to prepare the meal. So I'm gonna read from Luke 22, verses 14 through 20 to prepare our time of communion. And when the hour came, he reclined a table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So in the Last Supper, we see how the gospel is backward-looking, presently engaging, and forward-looking. In this meal, we continually remember how Jesus sacrificed his body and blood on our behalf. As we remember, as a family of God, we presently unite our hearts together in communion with him, and we look forward with hope to God's coming kingdom as we will eat together with Jesus along with the redeemed family of God. So the bread and juice are only symbols of the body and blood of Jesus, but we ask that you not take this meal lightly. 
First of all, this is a meal for all of those who have repented of their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ following him. This is a meal for Christians. Though you don't need to be a member of this local church, you need to be a member of the body of Jesus Christ. But we also ask that if there is a divide between any of us, between any of you, that you first clear that up. Seek reconciliation and forgiveness before you take communion. You could even do that in the next few moments as we have a time to prepare. Or you can take care of that this week. Uh, we, that's why we take this every week. So remember, we are a family. And families can have conflicts. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to one another. So there are the elements over here, um, the crackers and the juice. Um, invite you to come when you are ready. Ask you to take this time, if you need to, to confess your sins, to ask for forgiveness. If you are holding on to any kind of unrepentant sin, we ask that you not take the meal unless you are ready to confess that, ready to ask for forgiveness from the Lord. So I and Mark will be up here at the tables, um, and uh, we ask you to come up, take the elements back to your seat, and we're going to take this together. So just wait for me. Um, wait, wait till we do the crunch together. <laughs> um, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray right now, and then we'll, we'll take a few moments, and you can come when you're ready. Father, we thank you and praise you, God, for everything. We thank you, Lord, for your, for your word, for your spirit. We thank you for this church family. Thank you for what you are doing amongst us and in us. We thank you for this, the table of grace that you've called us to, that you've invited us to sit at, to recline at with you in your kingdom. And God, we look forward to the day that we will eat at the banquet table of redemption with you, with all of those who are redeemed. And we look forward to that. And God, I thank you that our meals now, this communion meal is, is to point us forward to that but also point us back to remember what you have done and to show that there's power in your grace to change us, to conform us to your image, to call us to repentance, to call us away from our sin towards you. So I ask right now in this moment, I pray that you would convict us of sin, that you would show us where we fall short, and that you would Invite us back, call us back to your grace. Call us back to your truth. And help us to follow you. Help us to get up from the old life, to leave it behind, and to follow you, and to respond to this grace by inviting people, by calling them to repentance, and by loving one another as you have loved us. So Lord, we ask you to bless these elements now that you would bless us as your church and uh, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.